On Thursday of this week, um, Brooke had taken Ballin to the eye doctor to have her um, eyes measured. We thought it was going to be a pretty simple, straightforward, quick process, but um, the appointment lasted for around two hours. And so Brooke got home and she had not eaten lunch. It was close to four o'clock. I told her, I'll just pick up an early dinner for us at uh, Panda Express. And so I arrived at the Panda at uh, 4.35 in the afternoon, thinking it'd be fairly quick, but lo and behold, there was a long line. And I texted Brooke to let her know that the line was long. It might take me a little while. And she text, texted back and said, perhaps I should have chosen a different place that they just didn't seem to be very efficient. Well, the line wasn't moving. And I said, in response, it is beyond slow. But I am preaching on grumbling this Sunday. <laughs> and so for a new leaf. I said, at least until Sunday. <laughs> the time I pulled in to place my order, I, so I never get the chow mein, I never get the fried rice. Not that hard, right? Steamed rice. So I'm placing my order and they said, you've got to be kidding me. Sure you've heard the expression, the grass. Maybe our frustrating situation all inevitably becomes the tumbling about the driver in front of us who with our internet and cable provider. Or we have a problem with one of our spiritual leaders. Scene two, in the desert, the whole five, verses 22 and 23. Moses returned to the Lord. Have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why he has brought trouble on this people? And you have not rescued your people at all. That text is telling this story on himself, much like myself, about the panda experience. He's writing this while in the wilderness, and he is saying that he had complained about the frustration that he had felt when God did not act as he expected and when he expected. Put it another way, let us never lose sight of our own propensity to grumble. When we are frustrated, how often do we grumble? And such an acknowledgement will help us to more graciously handle, I believe, those who grumble in various and sundry situations. Especially, especially if like in the case of Moses, you or I prove to be the object of their complaints. Furthermore, if you are anything like me, the cause of your grumbling might come about because of your lack of faith. In the last several years, I have undergone a number of surgeries. I had a lipoma removed my back. It was benign. I had nasal polyps removed. I had my ruptured Achilles repaired. Most recently, I had my deviated septum corrected. And my wife would honestly tell you that I am not the best of patients. That admission applies in several ways. One such way concerns my fears. 
Every time some thought of illness or injury comes my way, my mind is prone to wonder to the why me's and the what ifs. As a pastor, I pray with individuals who are going through much more difficult seasons with their health than I have experienced. I frequently read scripture to them. I encourage them that God's got this. I believe that to be true because I trust the sovereign God has a plan for each of our lives. But while I believingly proclaim that to others, I find myself frightened for me. Perhaps it's because I still have young children, even though people think I'm a grandfather. But nevertheless, it reflects my lack of faith that God's got this. Sadly, I identify here with the Israelites because that is exactly what we learn about them. They doubted whether Yahweh, who had shown himself to be so faithful in the past, was still sufficient amid their emerging difficulties. The Israelites' grumbling grows out of a lack of faith that God's got this. In both what he has already done and in what he has promised yet to do. In this way, the people were forgetful. The Israelites' grumblings show that <laughs> while God had delivered them from Pharaoh, that was just a few days ago. What had he done for them lately? Just consider, if you were to read the beginning of chapter 15, the song of praise that they sing. And it's followed so quickly at the end of chapter 15 by the murmuring that they bring. Perhaps then we can all identify a little bit with Israel. Today, we are in the assembly of God. We have sung praises to his name. How quickly on Monday, sometimes we find ourselves grumbling. Prone to grumble. Lord, I feel it. This grumbling proves toxic. For one, it is toxic because it spreads and does damage to the spirit of the people of God. Rather than complaining, the apostle tells us in Philippians 4 verse 8 to spend our time thinking about that which is excellent or praiseworthy. As Christians then, we need to call one another out amid our grumbling. We should say stop don't talk to me about it. Go talk to the person concerned. Or go talk to God. But it's toxic, secondly, because inevitably God actually becomes the target of our grumbling. 
Instead of talking to God, grumbling puts God on trial and finds him guilty whenever he hasn't delivered the job or the marriage or the appearance or whatever it is that we want. The Hebrew word used for grumbling in chapter 15, verse 24, 16, verse 2, and 17, verse 3, suggests a rebellious muttering. The word involves a desire to break off from the covenantal relation with Yahweh in order to return to Egypt. In other words, in complaining against Moses, Israel is putting God to the test. Moses here does not join in this type of murmuring. Instead, he cries out to the Lord from a covenanting spirit. It is certainly fine to cry out to God in bewildered questioning. In fact, God welcomes us to do that. Read the Psalms. But it is sin to present God with an ultimatum. For us to decide about God's presence or absence based on whether or not God somehow meets the test that we put before him. Plus, if the absence of water in chapter 17 counts against God, what about all the other times? What about the stages along the way where he had been faithful and where he had provided? J. Gerald Jansen thus asked, which experiences, the negative ones or the positive ones, shall we take as the most reliable evidence concerning God in the world and in our lives? Here, faith and trust vie with fear and doubt. Most certainly, it is true that each and every one of us will taste bitter experiences in our lives. How are we to cry out to God within a covenanting spirit instead of a grumbling heart? A grumbling heart is a dangerous one. The psalmist writes in Psalm 95, 8 and 9, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. We must consider then the cure for our grumbling. God has been faithful to provide. He was faithful to Israel not always with what they wanted, but with what they needed. Take, for instance, the manna or the bread from heaven. The manna God provided required the Hebrew people to trust him day by day. The Lord's prayer comes to my mind. Give us this day our daily bread. Tim Chester writes, God doesn't give grace today for tomorrow. 
Don't worry how you would cope if. Don't play scenarios. You are not given grace for the ifs and the maybes. You will be given grace for today. You will have grace for the next day when it comes. And it will not come until tomorrow. The teaching of John chapter 6 also comes to my mind. Jesus provides us with our deepest, most profound need. He declares in John 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Like God did for Israel in the Exodus, in chapters 15 through 17, Jesus satisfies our hunger. Jesus quenches our thirst. Only Jesus satisfies in a way that goes far beyond earthly bread and water. Jesus gives eternal life to all those who believe. Yet in the same spirit as the Exodus, we find in John 6, verse 41, and John 6, verse 61, that the people hardened their hearts to Jesus. The text says they grumbled. In this passage of 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes in verse 10, do not grumble as some of them did. It's in this passage of 1 Corinthians 10 that Paul draws specifically from Exodus chapter 17. He explains in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4 how Israel drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And then he adds that rock was Christ. The analogy is a powerful one. You see, the verb for quarrel in Exodus 17, verse 2, and in Exodus, Exodus 17, verse 7, could indicate either a simple disagreement or that of a formal legal proceeding. In this text, it's a formal legal proceeding. And Israel was guilty. They were guilty of grumbling. They were guilty of questioning the goodness of God and the 10,000 reasons that existed to covenant with him. In legal proceedings, they would have been found guilty. Only God tells Moses to take the same staff that had been used in judgment against the Egyptians and to strike the rock. Don't miss what Paul had said. That rock serves as an analogy to the crucifixion of Christ and as the one who is the source of our provision. What happened at Massa foreshadows Calvary. It was a legal proceeding. 
on one side stood a guilty humanity prone to grumble against God. On the other side stood the sinless Son of God. And the Heavenly Father said, Strike the rock. Strike the rock who is my son. That's the gospel. That Jesus Christ is the bread come from heaven to provide for his people because he is the rock that is struck with a judgment that I deserve. What should be the cure to my grumbling spirit? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That he took my place so that I might be restored to a right relationship with the Father. Whether we face a daunting circumstance, whether we endure a deep sadness, or whether we're just facing a small detail like a traffic jam or slow service at a drive-through, perhaps you and I should pause. And whatever moment it is that we find ourselves prone to grumble, and we should reflect upon the gospel, and that the rock was struck so that we might have life. And then instead of grumbling, maybe we'll just be grateful. Wouldn't it be nice for my wife to say of her husband, prone to be grateful, I see it, rather than prone to grumble, I feel it that we would have grateful hearts. Pray with me. Christ, help us to be thankful. Help us to see the blessings that are all around us. I know that there are seasons that we walk through that are hard. But you are our rod and our staff. You are our good shepherd. Help us, I pray, to lean upon you, to rest in you, and to be grateful, to look for a blessing each day, and to be grateful. Where we are prone to grumble, remind us of the gospel. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
And I would remind you of the gospel today. And as we stand together and sing, this is an opportunity. You need to come and get right with Christ. If there's some confession that you need to make, today is a good day. Come before the Lord.